Hello, race fans, and welcome to another edition of the Pittsburgh Racing Now podcast. I am your host, Scott Stiller. Coming up on this edition of the podcast, we'll talk to the new general manager of Lernerville Speedway, Mike Lisikowski. We'll also talk to Robert Johnson, the executive director of the new Motorsports Council of Pennsylvania. We'll also find out about their plans to help the racing industry in the Commonwealth. Let's start with some headlines since our last podcast. Denny Hamlin picked up the NASCAR Cup Series win this past weekend at Talladega, but as I mentioned in the article on PittsburghRacingNow.com, it was not without controversy. NASCAR basically changed their enforcement of the double yellow line rule. The rule always applied to drivers who went below the yellow line and improved their position. This weekend, they were penalizing drivers for forcing other cars below the double yellow line. I have some thoughts on this. NASCAR needs a blocking rule, plain and simple, especially if they're going to continue with this package on the plate tracks that essentially produces pack racing, or they need to amend the double yellow line rule. It can be this simple. You force someone below the line, you're penalized. You go below the double yellow line and improve your position, you're penalized. And if someone forces you below the double yellow line, you're not allowed to improve your position. I think it would also help NASCAR if they had a former Cup Series driver in race control, someone who has experience at the highest level of stock car racing. How can you not feel bad for Matt Benedetto after he comes up short on that first Cup Series win again? He did get some good news, however. The Wood Brothers and Ford have picked up his option for 2021 But the bad news on the flip side of that, he's out of a ride in 2022 for Austin Sindrick. Now, if you don't know who Austin Sindrick is, he's Team Penske's Xfinity Series driver, but he's also the son of Team President Tim Sindrick. Nothing against Sindrick, but we all know he's in that seat because his dad is the president of the race team. Think of him as the Marco Andretti of NASCAR with some better results up to this point. We also watched Kurt Busch pick up his first career win at his home track in Las Vegas. That punched the Chip Ganassi Racing driver's ticket to the round of eight in the NASCAR playoffs, which is key since Busch was involved in one of the big wrecks at Talladega. NASCAR also released their 21 schedule, and it's drastically different than schedules of the past. The schedule includes a dirt race at Bristol, road course races at Circuit of the Americas, Road America, and the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. The Brickyard 400 will also be a double header with the NTT IndyCar Series. A couple of thoughts on the NASCAR schedule. Love the IndyCar NASCAR double header at the Brickyard 400, and I love the fact that it's going to be on the road course. And that means the Indy 500 will be the only big series race on the oval, which is the way it should be. Not a fan of the dirt race at Bristol for a couple of reasons. One, Kyle Larson has told me on several occasions that the cup cars do not belong on dirt. And he cited one of the principal reason is the tires. The other reason I don't like the race is because of Fox. According to The Athletic, Fox essentially demanded a dirt race as part of their broadcast schedule. Knoxville or Eldora would have been the place to have a dirt race if it was that important. Not that I don't like Bristol, but why take a great Bristol race away on the pavement and or the concrete, as the case may be, and cover it with dirt? Just go to Eldora or go to Knoxville. The places can handle the crowds at this point in time. So I think that's a missed opportunity for NASCAR to grow the sport. Decisions like this bring up one of NASCAR's biggest problems. NASCAR has sold its soul to their partners, like the manufacturers and the TV networks. And a lot of this has resulted in this crap of a race car package, stage racing instead of heats like you and I see at the local tracks, horrible race start times, which in turn have cost tracks attendance. Who wants to drive from Pittsburgh to Michigan for a race that's going to start at 345? By the time the race is over and you get home, it's after midnight. If you got to get up to work the next day, your rear end is dragging, no doubt about it. 
NASCAR used to have the leverage, but Brian France had no clue how to use it. Should follow the NFL model. East Coast races should start at 1 p.m. and West Coast races should start at 4 p.m. It gives NASCAR and the networks room if there's issues like Sunday's Crash Fest. And how about NBC switching it from NBC to NBCSN for the last 15 minutes of the race? Just make local news, collapse the local news. You still would have made it for uh, Sunday Night Football and the NBC Nightly News. You would have been in good shape there. The IndyCar Series released their schedule too, and it features double headers at Texas in May and Detroit in June. It also features the new street race in Nashville that we told you about at the last podcast. The season will open March 7th on the streets of St. Petersburg. The schedule is losing oval races at Richmond and Iowa. I don't think the problem is the racing. The racing in the NTT IndyCar Series is some of the best in North America. The problem is piss-poor promotion by the tracks and the series itself. It's a problem I hope Roger Penske fixes, but 16th and Georgetown need some fresh ideas, and I don't think the carryover staff from the Holman-George days is up to the task. We'll see, though. Let's give the captain some time to right the ship there. On track, Joseph Newgarden and Will Power picked up the wins at the Harvest Grand Prix doubleheader this past weekend on the road course. Points leader Scott Dixon and the PNC Bank team are continuing a disturbing trend of losing championship points. Dixon holds a 32-point lead heading into the season finale at St. Pete. It was 70 going into the weekend. So the number nine car and the number one of Joseph Newgarden, the defending series champion, are going to race for the title at St. Pete. Dixon has to finish eighth or better, and that would require Newgarden to win the race, sit on the pole, and lead the most laps. Tired of a dirty car? Mr. Magic Car Wash will have your vehicle looking new again in just minutes, even those tough-to-clean wheels. Try us out at any one of our five convenient South Hills locations for a car wash you won't soon forget. On the pole position tonight is the new general manager of Lernerville Speedway, Mike Lisikowski. Joining us on the Pittsburgh Racing Now podcast, the new general manager of Lernerville Speedway, Mike Lisikowski. Mike, congratulations. Oh, thank you very much. It's, uh, it is indeed an honor to represent a facility with the, the history, the reputation, and the outstanding racing of Lernerville Speedway. It's, uh, it's really tremendous to be here. Before we get to uh, the new gig and how it came about, how did you? I, I always ask my guests this first question: How did you first get into racing as a fan? Uh, I became a fan as an infant. Uh, my parents uh, attended races. My father uh, attended every event on pavement at the Heidelberg Raceway. Uh, he didn't go to the dirt track races there so much, but when Heidelberg became a paved racetrack, uh, he and his friends, and most of the time my mother, uh, attended every race, uh, at least in the case of my dad, attended every race at Heidelberg, which was before my time. Uh, and so uh, after uh, my parents had uh, uh, had a son, uh, he went along to the races with them as an infant. And uh, from here at Lernerville Speedway, I actually remember... And, and distinctly remember and still talk about races from when I was like four and five years old. I mean, there's some of my fondest memories uh, are being here. And I was so motivated by the sport of auto racing that uh, my parents actually taught me how to read using tri-state auto racing news and national speed sport news. I wasn't motivated to read the kids' books about the ducks that go quack and the, you know, Dick and Jane. I was only motivated to find out what happened at Lernerville and what happened at Motordrome and, and get the race results uh, because I knew all the drivers at, at that very young age. So uh, going to the races since I was an infant and uh, and, and having the the passion for it to distinctly remember races that I saw as a toddler uh, kind of lead me to uh, to where I am today on the other side of the fence here at Lernerville Speedway. That was my next question. How did you take that passion and turn it into a career? Uh, I started working full-time in short track racing uh, at age 17. Uh, I had been, uh, I, I put together kind of a resume and I, I had some, uh, some writing skills and some journalism skills that uh, my teachers had identified in me uh, pretty early. And uh, so using uh, 
samples of things that I had written, uh, I made my way to the RPM Magazine staff list. Uh, at age 15, I became a photographer, columnist, and reporter for the locally based RPM Magazine uh, under editor Dave Kitty at that time. And uh, so from from the RPM Magazine, I was then hired by Trackside Magazine to do some feature stories. And, and I basically became a journalist when I was 15, 16 years old. And then at age 17, I created a publishing company that produced a racing magazine called the Oval Track Annual. It was a, a once a year guide to short track racing that covered all the races from the previous season and previewed the upcoming season. And that book was on sale in 13 different states at over 110 speedways. Uh, that, that publication had about a five or six year run uh, as my own uh, business. I was self-employed as a, as a high school student and then worked at my own business all the way through college in short track racing. So at that time of my life and into my 20s, uh, I attended 100 to 140 races every single year, making my full-time living in the sport of short track racing. So you know as much as there is to know about short track racing and about dirt racing, asphalt racing, and uh, covering it as a reporter, you know, you get the nuances, uh, but you don't get necessarily much on the business side. Maybe you talk to some sponsors or some track promoters and things of that nature. So when did you start to uh, switch from basically just being the journalist and transitioning over into more of the business side of the sport? Well, operating the small business of the, the publishing company was, was obviously a great lesson for, for a teenager and, and, and a college student uh, in his 20s. Uh, but with the publishing company, we started to produce literature then for other organizations. Uh, the United States Auto Club came to us and said, hey, we love this publication that you do. Can you do something that's devoted to our series? Uh, so we did things for the Mid-Atlantic Championship Series. We did things for the United for USAC, the United States Auto Club. So we started to get involved sort of at the touring series level there. Uh, and then I became very involved in the all-star sprint cars. Uh, Gene Lynch, who was a uh, an employee of the Lernerville Speedway, the Sharon Speedway, and a race promoter herself, uh, she is noted for her involvement with the all-star circuit of champions, and she's one of the founding creators of the Ohio Speed Week concept. Uh, she hired me to be a part of the all-star circuit of champions. Uh, initially with uh, public relations, and then I became the first traveling announcer for the All-Stars. Uh, so into my 20s and 30s, I made my living as a racing broadcaster. Uh, even to this day, I routinely get text messages from folks that, hey, I'm watching you on TV right now. <laughs> and, uh, because up until October 1st, when I accepted the position here at Lernerville, uh, I was still making my living as a racing broadcaster and uh, as a uh, uh, as an employee of the Jennerstown Speedway on the asphalt side of things. So, uh, you know, so when it came to learning the business end, I got entrenched into more things than just the journalism component. And, and what I told the Thompson family here at Lernerville Speedway, when we began our discussions about the general manager opening, uh, and, and, and to go back to your words, and you said, I know a lot about short track racing. It's not so much knowledge, and I'm, I'm not even going to call it brain power or intelligence, but what I have is witnessing over 140 races per year for most of my life and being on the staff side of the fence for those things. So you know, when a situation might pop up here at Lernerville Speedway, I've probably seen that somewhere else. It's just a matter of all those experiences. You know, if something that seems unique to the Lernerville Speedway happens on the track or happens in the grandstands or happens in the pits, there's a pretty good odds that I can say, ah, oh, I saw that happen at a track in Tennessee once, uh, and here's how they handled it, and boy, they didn't do it right because the end result was a big mess. Or, you know what, that happened to me when I was at a race in Michigan one time, and the track handled it this way, and it went perfectly. They solved it by this method. So, I, I don't know that, the, that it's the knowledge or it's the, the background so much as just all the things that I've witnessed and whether they were successful solutions or failure solutions, because I've probably seen more of these races than anybody else that, uh, that maybe has ever been a guest on your show before. 
You bring up a good point. It's about the experience. I know you you were doing the work at Jennerstown. You were also helping out Tri-City uh, Raceway Park as well. So when you look at the general scope of racing in western Pennsylvania and the extended tri-state area, what are your thoughts about where it's at and where it can go? Uh, you know, coming from Jennerstown on the asphalt side, uh, that was a unique experience because the Jennerstown Speedway had been closed for about six or seven years. Uh, and the, the management team there that decided to reopen it, you can imagine what a challenge that is when all the drivers have gone on to other things and when the fans are no longer in the habit of thinking of, hey, it's Saturday, how do we get our entertainment tonight? Oh, there's a racetrack. Yeah, the, the, the challenges that the, that Speedway faced after being closed uh, it is now in in four five years after the fact. I guess a little over four years now. Uh, it, it's back to being a success, and the car count is growing there. Uh, and I think that as you look across the board, ch- changing it over to dirt track racing, which is a majority of the facilities in the in the Western Pennsylvania region by far, uh, it, it seems like there is a return to competition. You know, we, we suffered, there was a five or six year period there where it seemed like car counts continued to go down, down, down. Uh, and now I'm seeing those car counts go back up a little bit again. And I'm seeing it both from young drivers that are getting their first taste of competition, maybe moving up from go-karts or from four-cylinder type cars into uh, more competitive uh, race machines. Or it's the fact that you, know, you think about the society that we live in right now and how important it is for everybody to have a social media presence and for the, the selfies and the picture. You know, when I was a kid and you went to a rock and roll concert, you bought the T-shirt to prove to everybody you were there. And now technology lets you prove that you are doing great things without buying souvenirs. So when you take a look at young people who are looking to make a splash on social media among their friends and looking to build up their digital presence, because that's what's important to young people right now. How cool is it to be a race car driver? You know, everybody in your high school class can play soccer. Everybody can be on the little league team. But man, if you're a young, if if you're a young race fan that turns to the side of competition, how awesome are those pictures and videos of being in a racing go kart with that helmet on, or or being in a street stock type race car or a four cylinder race car? I, I honestly think that the the visual society that we're in now is playing a role in helping young people to discover how cool race cars really are. When I got hooked on this sport at age two or three, it was the sight of a of a powerful, colorful sprint car turning itself sideways and throwing mud off of those big rear tires through a turn that got me hooked for life. And now when we have all the digital tools to share those kinds of images and share those kinds of videos, I think racing is one of the things that can benefit greatly from this digital era because it's much more exciting to watch sprint cars go through the turns here at Lernerville Speedway than it is to watch a basketball player shoot a three-point shot. It's just more visually stunning. And I think as car counts are growing and I'm seeing more and more younger drivers, I think there is a great allure for young people to be a part of this sport. And I think that might be helping the car counts to uh, achieve the heights that they are here in the last three, four seasons. How did the position at Lernerville come about? How did uh, you and the Thompson family get together? Uh, I actually met the Thompson family uh, in the first year of their ownership of Lernerville Speedway. Um, each year, there are promoters' workshops. Uh, it's called the RPM workshops, and they are held in Reno, Nevada for the West Coast. They're held in uh, Indianapolis, and they're held in Daytona Beach. There's three of these conferences each year that bring all the racetrack owners together uh, so they can discuss the problems, the challenges, the success stories. Uh, and I was invited uh, to be a, a presenter, and I and and I actually teach seminars at those workshops at all three locations across the country. And when the Thompsons became the owners of Lernerville Speedway, they flew out to the West Coast to attend the Reno, Nevada session. Uh, so as I was getting prepared early in the room there for, for my session, uh, I saw some guys come in with the Lernerville logo on their polo shirts. And I went, went over right away. I said, hey, I grew up in the grandstands at Lernerville. And you know, the fact that we were meeting for the first time out on the West Coast was kind of odd. But uh, uh, they actually sat with me uh, through the whole three-day seminar, uh, you know, when I wasn't up at the podium teaching, uh, uh, they were right there, and we all sat together and 
had a couple of meals together and a couple of drinks. And so I got to know them in their first year of Lernerville Speedway ownership. And in the course of being a broadcaster, I would work at Lernerville three, four times for some of the touring series that passed through the Speedway. So I'd seen the operation under their control. I'd met the guys when they first started. Uh, But the the recent discussions were a little bit more interesting. Uh, My uh, small printing company still to this day produces uh, souvenir program books for several speedways, like Pennsylvania Motor Speedway uh, has been one of our longtime clients. And so uh, we were talking about the idea of bringing a weekly souvenir program book to the Lernerville Speedway to offer to the fans. Uh, and uh, during those discussions, the general manager position came open, and we sort of tabled the discussions of the weekly programs and, and uh, began the discussion of uh, myself and my qualifications related to the role of general manager. So it was a kind of change of subject matter there. Uh, uh, through our discussions here in 2020. So uh, from a a distance, what are your impressions of what Lernerville does right? And what are some of the things going forward that you want to take a look at maybe? You know, that's a a great question because I've I've obviously closely followed and, and as I mentioned, been in attendance at Lernerville Speedway probably three, four times a season. Uh, And and this, uh, this position for me is slightly unique from the standpoint that uh, there are no immediate challenges. Uh, in my role as a consultant across the country and, and doing things like this, uh, you know, for a one-year contract at certain speedways across the country, I tend to be the emergency contact. Uh, when things are going horribly wrong at a racetrack, we, we got to bring in Mike. He's the guy that can fix this. We, and, and I've done that for tracks and touring series all over the country. Hey, come in here and, and work with us for six or eight weeks and, and try to right the ship. You know, hey, we got this big problem going on. We need Mike to come in and solve it. Uh, as I sit here at Lernerville Speedway, it's a fantastic opportunity for me because there are no problems per se. This is one of the first times that I've been brought in without the dire need to turn something around or change its direction or, or fix something. Uh, you know, this, uh, the, the whole operation as, as I've seen it here for the, the, the two weeks or so that I've, uh, that I've been kind of a part of the team and, and for all the times that I've attended, you know, I attended the firecracker event this season, the big world of outlaws late model event. Uh, you know, the, there's no need for a mechanic here. They just need somebody to hold the steering wheel. So, uh, you know, with all the challenging situations that I've, uh, faced throughout my career, this is, uh, this is truly a breath of fresh air because, uh, I, I don't see challenges. All I see here are opportunities uh, for growth. You know, there's, uh, there are so many businesses in the Western Pennsylvania area and so many entertainment starved families in Western Pennsylvania that have never sampled the product of short track racing. Uh, so, you know, with, with things going so well already at Lernerville Speedway, that frees up my time to make sure that I can be a bridge to all those businesses and all those families that have never attended a race. And I can be the person out there inviting them to come and, and hoping that some of them get bitten by this racing bug like I did at age two, uh, because it's a really exciting thing to witness for the first time. So uh, I'm, I'm just really looking forward to all the growth and opportunity here because the, the challenges seem so minimal. How do we reach those fans? This was a perfect opportunity this season uh, with COVID and the lack of fans being able to attend Pirates games, Penguins games, and now here early this fall, Steelers games, Pitt games, no fans in attendance, but all of the area racetracks have been able to host fans. So this was an opportunity, and I'm curious uh, if you think that local tracks seize that opportunity, uh, has the window closed or is the, is the window still open to get the, to get the attention of that casual sports fan? Uh, I, I think the window is still open, and and you make a great point. Uh, all the sports activities uh, that that were not available to people have helped. I, I think every track in the region uh, that's been able to operate. Obviously, there were a couple of tracks that uh, you know in in other states, uh, particularly New York and Ohio, close to our region, that were not allowed to operate or operate regularly. At least the tracks that have operated regularly, I think, have all experienced Lernerville included. Uh, better numbers at the front gate. I think the the fan count is up. And and in addition to sports, keep in mind, concerts, 
how much money did did entertainment starved families save this year because there were no concerts to go to? Uh, you know, the, the list goes on and on. You know, high school football is very very limited, and Lernerville increased the schedule of races here in the high school football time of year because only certain family members are allowed to go in certain situations. Only home teams are allowed to have fans. So you've got approximately half the number of people going to scholastic events and nobody going to concerts. Yes, that window is, I think, still open, and there's still some events coming up in the fall, like the Lernerville uh, Stampede event on October 18th and 19th. So uh, that window remains open for now, and, and I know I speak for several other tracks in the region that that fan count is up. Uh, so this season, I think you were 100% correct. We probably made more of an impact on those people that had never seen a short track race before. Uh, you know, their word of mouth going out to tell friends and using their own social media channels to you know take a selfie from Lernerville Speedway and say, hey, look where we were this week, and, and kind of spark the discussion about short track racing as a viable family entertainment. I, I think we're going to continue to reap the benefits from that. Of course, this the season is winding down thanks to Mother Nature here in our region. Uh, I know that you know North Carolina and Florida still have some big short track events planned on into you know October and, and November even. Uh, but uh, I, I think that we're going to continue to feel the benefits of what happened this summer on down the road as the people who tried it and liked it for the first time may return and the people who tried it for the first time speak positively about it and, and simply draw attention to it on their own social media channels. I was going to say the key is getting the fan to come back and to return. So uh, what are some of the things that tracks can do to get the casual fan to come back? Are there incentive? Should tracks come up with incentive programs or uh, season ticket discounts, something like that? Or what kind of ideas float around in your head uh, in regards to that? You know, one of the things, because short track racing is pretty darn affordable when you compare it to, uh, you know, when you compare it to concert tickets and, and things of that nature, NFL tickets, uh, you know, I, I think the price kind of speaks for itself. And I think that once people arrive and see that there's always free parking at the short tracks, I think that's something that the short tracks need to shout from the mountaintops that they, uh, that even Lernerville has, has not done in the past. You know, the, the diehard race fans like us listening to this broadcast, we're aware of that. But so many times, you know, I, I mean, to pay for, I think I was paying 30 bucks to park at Pirates games last year and 60 bucks at Steeler games. I know I, I always pay 60, 50 to $60 at the Steeler games. The, the, the people who have never been to these tracks before need to be told in the advertising, hey, there's free parking. Hey, the food is very affordable here. So I, I think that the, the financial component, once people have attended their first race, I think we win them over on the financial component pretty quickly. The one thing that most all tracks need to work on is the education. It takes a little bit more knowledge to fully enjoy a short track race than it does to enjoy a baseball or football game. And, and of course, there's the idea of making the drivers into celebrities. You, know, you, you want to know the driver's hometown because maybe uh, that driver is from the same hometown as a first-time fan, and that can be a favorite. But it, it goes way beyond that to the level of the, the announcers and the, and the souvenir program books and the, the maybe a collateral piece of material that uh, can be handed to every first-time fan at the gate. Hey, is it your first time here? Or, or direct fans uh, to say, hey, if it's your first time, go and pick up the first-time fan guide. I think we need to get information to people through the announcers in the PA system and through a collateral piece of literature that says, here's what a sprint car is, a, a quick two-sentence description of here's why sprint cars are special. Here's what a late model car is, and here's why it's called a late model. Uh, here's what a modified is. And, 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 and going on to beyond that of here's what a heat race means. Heat races are a preliminary race that help establish the starting grid for the feature where all the money's on the line. Uh, you know, feature races award points toward a season-long championship. I, I think there needs to be a, a greater... Uh, a, a greater liaison toward first-time fans. Uh, many announcers and, and many of us in this sport kind of assume that there's a knowledge base there. And the reality is when people come to a race for the first time, they don't know what hot laps mean uh, on a schedule of events or, or on a Facebook post. They don't know what heat races are. And, and certainly to tell the difference between four or five different types of stock cars that might be uh, on the program, you know, I think there just needs to be a greater education process once a first-time fan reaches the gate. Uh, and, and certainly we're going to work on that here at Lernerville Speedway, and I would encourage all the other tracks to do so. I think the announcer needs to cater to that group a little bit more than to the diehard race fans, because to be quite honest, 
the diehard fans are going to keep coming back and buying a ticket, even if the PA system were broken, there was no announcer. So when you have that ability to communicate to people, we just need to prioritize the education of those first-time fans once they pass through the gates of every speedway. That's a great point. I mean, the the hardcore race fan knows the difference between a 305, a 358, and a 410 sprint, but a guy that's bringing his family for the first time, they don't have a clue. Well, and, and you would be surprised how many times I've been asked. I, I know more than two dozen times I've been asked by non-race fans, whenever they see a flyer or hear a radio commercial and it says 410 sprints and the people are saying, they go 410 laps? Really? No, no, that's not it. There's 410 cars on the track? No, no, there's not. It, it, it really, it's a, it, racing is its own language. Uh, and, and when I try to talk to, to diehard race fans, I say, hey, if you were going to go to a professional soccer game for the first time and you didn't understand the language and didn't understand the scoring, it would be very difficult to enjoy it. And I think we need to pay close attention to all those people who are coming to races for the first time and and just communicate better with them and help to translate the language that is so difficult for them to understand. I mean, when we're talking about a 410 sprint car, people say, well, geez, that's not much horsepower. No, that's not the horsepower. That's the cubic inches. And even that is an archaic term because for 90% of my lifetime on this earth, all the auto manufacturers market their cars as 4.3 4.3 liter, 5.0 liter. You know, the, the whole idea of cubic inches is kind of archaic, but that is still the language we speak in racing. So I think if if all the people in my position and all the publicity directors at the racetracks kind of step back for a moment and understand that our language is very confusing to the hundreds of thousands of people in this area that have never come to a race, I think if we start to tweak that a little bit and, and make sure that we're speaking to people, particularly in our advertising outreach, with terms that don't confuse them, I think we stand a better chance at winning over that demographic and getting them here for one race. Great point. Great point. You guys have a a different kind of outreach at Lernerville with uh, the advent of Lernerville TV this year. So what are the goals going forward with Lernerville TV and what are your thoughts about it up to this point uh, from what you've seen? In, in my opinion, and again, having traveled, uh, I think my accountant told me last year, uh, I worked in 18 states uh, as an auto racing professional, and that being from the broadcasting standpoint or, or consulting and, and media relations and all those things that, that I've done. Uh, in, in my opinion, over the last five or six years, I've watched the evolution of this digital media, and I think Lernerville is pretty far ahead of the curve on this by establishing Lernerville TV. Uh, for those that aren't aware, you can watch the races live. Uh, they're stored out there in the archives. You can call them back up and watch them later for a, a, a membership fee or a, a one-time ticket to a live broadcast. Uh, and, and the Lernerville TV concept to me is ahead of the curve because I, I think if we look 25, 30 years down the road, there's going to be speedways with a pit area full of cars and only a handful of people in the grandstands as everybody is watching at home on their devices. I think we're 20 to 30 years away from that, uh, but I think that's the direction it's going to go where there will be empty grandstands everywhere, but tens of thousands of people paying to watch at home. And as long as the revenue works out in the same way, I, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. Uh, you know, it will hurt the atmosphere a little bit, uh, you know, but, uh, but I, I think that's the, rec- the direction that things are headed. And I applaud Lernerville Speedway for kind of getting ahead of the curve on that a little bit. Uh, you know, the, after this season, there's going to be an evaluation and we take a look at, you know, h- how many people were using that service. Where are they from? Uh, you know, we certainly hope that the people within five or 10 miles of the speedway still choose to show up and buy a ticket and be a part of that electric atmosphere and that sound of late models taking the green flag in front of the, the cheers of the grandstands. I mean, that that's something that I think, uh, you know, there will still be people who always desire that. But, you know, on a night uh, when the weather is kind of chilly in October, uh, you know, how many people would rather stay in or particularly this year when we uh, you know, when we had the COVID restrictions, how many people were able to enjoy a Lernerville Speedway event through their device or computer instead of being here in person? It, it, it's a reasonable option that I think that the public is going to continue to demand. And I think Lernerville Speedway is a little bit ahead of the curve on that. And I applaud them for, quite frankly, a sizable investment in the television quality production equipment to make that experience something that people are willing to pay for to watch from their own home. That's a great point about the investment, and and really, uh, it's about one of the things that that has struck me about the first off the the production quality is is top notch uh, with what the guys are doing, but 
I'm hearing from people that are displaced, I don't want to say displaced Pittsburghers, but relocated Western Pennsylvanians that may be down in the Charlotte area or maybe in Raleigh. Uh, they might be in Florida. They might be over in Dayton or Columbus. And they've heard about it and they've pulled up a race or two and been able to watch something. And I, I think that that is key because you're reaching fans that are fans of the speedway fans of the sport who can't come who can't jump in the car and drive to lernerville and that's kind of i think a little bit of an untapped market for all the speedways and you know you touched on social media a little bit ago it amazes me to this day that there are still drivers out there that do not have a social media presence which to me is I think would be almost detrimental to their business model in this day and age because you have to give that return to your sponsors and that's just another way to do it. Well, you make two good points there. Certainly the, the folks that are living far away from Lernerville and, and want to tune in on Lernerville TV, you know, I, I think there's maybe a, a sort of a, a secret other benefit there. Uh, you know, if they, if they were originally from the Pittsburgh area and they're living in Phoenix now and, and they're, they're able to stay in touch with short track racing by watching every Friday night on Lernerville TV, that's a group of people that, you know, while the races are going on, obviously we're going to be promoting the Silver Cup event coming up. We're going to be mentioning the dates for the fire cracker and i would think all over the country the people that are tuning in for the weekly racing to watch maybe old friends and neighbors compete on a weekly basis those are the same kind of people that could even plan a vacation trip or a return home around one of the marquee events here at lernerville speedway so yeah i, I think that's tremendous that that product is able to go coast to coast and and show off for one the fab four racing that is unlike any other weekly track in the country and also be kind of the building blocks of maybe an advertising mode towards some of the big events that people would would consider a destination nation race to come to as a as a uh, you know as a as a planned summer trip but w when you talk about the social media and at the race team level yes i, I agree a hundred percent that anybody who is collecting money from a sponsor on their race car needs to use the digital channels to promote those sponsors and and by that same token learnerville tv can be an opportunity for businesses to get involved on that level uh, when we talk about businesses here in the year 2020 and beyond there are an awful lot of businesses that only have have an online presence. They're not a brick and mortar store, even though they sell things or, uh, you know, they set up websites and, and apps for people. There are so many businesses that only exist in the digital realm. What better way to advertise a business like that than by putting a link in Lernerville TV? I think the Lernerville TV broadcasts uh, have an effect that certain types of sponsors uh, will find beneficial who maybe don't need a billboard at the racetrack or don't need a, a night at the races with free tickets for their customers and employees. I, I think the digital channel and the Lernerville, Lernerville TV concept has an appeal to a certain type of business. And of course, when you mention the, the race teams and their sponsors, think about the reach that those teams are getting. You know, there was a sizable investment, as we mentioned, in all this television equipment, but the fact that it is such a quality broadcast all the teams participating in a Fab Four night at the races can, can send a link to their sponsors or buy a membership for their corporate sponsors. And those sponsors get to see firsthand the type of reach they have, even without making a trip to the Speedway on a Friday night. So from the business model standpoint, the Lernerville TV concept is just as, if not more beneficial to the race teams themselves than it is to the Lernerville Speedway as a whole. And it's up to the race teams to quantify that to to their uh, business partners and prospective partners. Oh, absolutely. I, 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 I couldn't agree with you more. And, 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 you know, one of the things that I think race teams, and, and again, seeing this all over the country and, and not pointing the finger to any local teams in particular, but, you know, as I travel the country, it, it seems like the race teams do a pretty good job when the season is going on of keeping their sponsors updated and, and, you know, maybe sending out a newsletter and sending some photos and things. But I, I think many, many race teams miss the boat with the things that they could be providing to their sponsors during the off season, uh, such as social media content. 
Uh, you know, just because the season is over, that doesn't mean you stop the emails to your sponsor. You can send them photos and videos of things that you did back in July and August. You can send those in November and December. And, and those companies are all looking for social media content. You know, somebody at every business is charged with the responsibility of saying, hey, we want social media updates representing our business four or five times a week. And those people come to points in the year where they're scratching their head and saying, man, nothing's new or changed here in the last four days. What am I, you know, what am I supposed to put on here to represent our business of Al's auto sales? Well, if Al's auto sales sponsors a big block modified and that modified team provides photos or small video clips or pictures of the shop or a brief driver interview, those are things that make the life easier for someone in the marketing department at that corporate sponsor. So, you know, Al's auto sales is going to be smiling if those race teams continue a 12-month plan of providing things that can be used as social media updates for the sponsor. And I think Lernerville TV dovetails right into that plan. That's a great point. One of the announcements this, uh, this past week or a little over a week ago that's very intriguing and really is going to be, I think, a, a big benefit to the tracks is the new Motorsports Council of Pennsylvania. So before I let you go, I wanted to get your thoughts on that and how you think that can help grow the sport, not only throughout Western Pennsylvania, but throughout the Commonwealth. Uh, yeah, I've been a part of a couple of, uh, you know, some, some of the uh, sort of founding fathers of that organization uh, have been friends of mine for a long time. And, and uh, we've taken a couple of trips to Harrisburg in years past, uh, once while I was representing the Jennerstown Speedway and, and, and sort of uh, basically been given time with legislators to discuss the economic impact of racing. Because at the government level, that's kind of what's most important to them. You know, you can talk, uh, you can talk about the tourism effect. And you can say that, you know, hey, people are, are coming here for there, there are so many aspects that the government would look at short track racing that are not related to competition and not related to sponsorships and, and not related to, uh, to anything that we want to talk about on this show. And, and I think having a, a council of people that can promote those ideas, you know, when I give tours at a racetrack and, and maybe they're sponsors or sometimes even local government officials will come to a racetrack and, and I'm charged with the responsibility of walking them through the pits and explaining the different types of cars and explaining how the race program works. I'm always quick to point out that as compared to minor league hockey, minor league baseball, uh, you know, any of the, of the minor league sports that have a, a ticket price comparable to a night at Lernerville Speedway, let's say, uh, the economic impact of what we do in racing is so far reaching because I always go through the point pits and point out things like, okay, there's a race car and you can see that this piece of equipment needed to play the game is pretty costly. But let's look at how that trickles down to the local economy. Every one of these race teams needs a trailer. So all the area trailer businesses and trailer repair services and trailer tire sales and trailer inspection services benefit from what we do here. Every one of these teams needs an air compressor to run the air tools. So every air compressor dealer, every air compressor repairer, uh, you know, you know I, I, I point out the trickle-down effect of all of this stuff because when you're dealing with a minor league baseball team, well, those guys buy a pair of shoes and they're good for the year. You're dealing with a minor league hockey team, there's some equipment costs there. You got your sticks and your pads and all of that sort of thing, but the amount of money that our competitors spend into the local economy with tools and tires and trailers and fuel and, and all the things that a race team needs to stay afloat, that's a serious economic impact compared to any other minor league sport. And I think the council that you're speaking of are exactly the kind of people that can deliver those messages to people in government-appointed positions, to elected officials, and describe the importance of racing even beyond the very obvious tourism dollars uh, that can be pretty easily tracked by simply gathering the zip codes of everybody that comes to a racetrack. I, I think that, that that sort of a council uh, can really go to bat for the sport of racing at the government level whenever uh, lobbyists uh, you know, for other industries are, are filling that role. I think that can be a, a, a tremendous benefit to short track racing in the long haul. Robert Johnson from the Motorsports Council of Pennsylvania is also going to be a guest on this week's podcast, so I'm excited to have him on, and I'm excited to have you on. Before I let you go, we got a couple of weeks of racing left, so what do we got on the calendar, and what uh, can fans look forward to, and why should they come out to the action track? 
Well, as, uh, as, as you know, with the extended season, and this is sort of an experiment this year since uh, several events were lost in the springtime, uh, the Lernerville calendar was, it was really extended. And, and during the offseason, we'll have a, t- a chance to take a look at, 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 at the numbers and see if, in fact, the support for late September and October races was there. It may be something that continues into 20, 2021 once we look at all the numbers. But uh, on October the 9th, we have championship night. Uh, and, and that's true. All the races that were added to the schedule in September and October were points races for the Fab Four division. So on Friday night, October the 9th, we will crown the Fab Four 2020 champions of the Lernerville Speedway with a, the final Fab Four presentation of the night of the season. Uh, and then the big three-night spectacular of the Steel City Stampede, 14 divisions of dirt track race cars, when you include the Enduro, that will conclude the, uh, the action. 13 divisions plus an Enduro. There's a practice on Thursday, October 17th. Uh, that is free grandstand admission to come out and see uh, so many different divisions of race cars get their test and tune laps around the Lernerville Speedway. Then on Friday, October the 18th, it's all the preliminaries and heat races. Saturday, October the 19th will be all the feature events with a rain date of October 20th. So uh, the big, big weekend coming up. In fact, uh, we spent all day yesterday and part of today extending the pit area. Uh, hundreds, well over 100 race cars. I mean, <laughs> way, way over 100 race cars uh, will be in attendance. And as we talked about those trailers and rigs that uh, we were just speaking of, uh, we've, we've added fence and extended the pit area down toward the uh, – there, there's a, a sports complex uh, next door here with a baseball field and a football field. And so uh, we've extended the pit area to accommodate all the race teams that will be here for that Steel City Stampede on the 18th and 19th with that uh, practice session on Thursday the 17th. And anybody that wants to come out on Thursday night gets free grandstand admission to see uh, – you know, it's even tough as I sit here now to name – 13 different divisions of dirt track race cars, but uh, they're all on the schedule. Big dollar events for the sprints, the late models, the big block modifieds, and the pro stocks, and then uh, three of the rush touring divisions come in, as well as a bunch of other divisions making their only appearance of the season here at Lernerville. So we're pretty excited and already in the planning stages for the big stampede coming up later this month. And for fans that want to get tickets, they can get them at the gate, and they can also get them online, correct? Correct. Uh, Learnerville.com has the advanced tickets uh, available there. Uh, camping is a it's a, a paid reserve camping situation. So many people spend three or four days here over that week that uh, it, it had to be organized. <laughs> you, can't, you can't just let it be a free-for-all with that many people in the campground. So uh, there's a map and a layout. So if you want to be camping for the weekend, you need to call and, and make sure you register and reserve that camping spot according to the map that we have uh, laid out for that. So uh, there's a live band that performs on Friday night, a big bond fire party after the races on Friday night. So uh, th- this is certainly one of those events that uh, it eclipses the idea of just being a race night and really is truly an event uh, from the camping and entertainment standpoint. Yeah, it's a race weekend, just like any of the big shows, whether it's NASCAR, IndyCar, whatever. This is a that's an event weekend. And it is very similar in the way that folks approach it. You know, there, there's going to be so many campers and motorhomes setting up in here, you know, even on Wednesday uh, before the Thursday night camping, uh, you know, would officially kick off after the practice session. But uh, you're right. It's, it's the same idea. You know, I've always been much more a fan of short track racing than anything at the NASCAR Cup level or, or IndyCar level. Uh, it just suits my attention span, I think, a whole lot better. I'd rather see a 40-lap feature than a 500-lap feature. That's just me. Uh, so for all the people that are like me and prefer the short track brand of racing, racing, uh, you're exactly right. This becomes sort of like a, a, a Talladega infield weekend or an Indianapolis 500 kind of weekend where uh, everybody can uh, can party together and camp out together here right at the racetrack for three terrific days. And uh, uh, I, I'm told that occasionally a can of beer will be cracked open during those three nights of camping. <laughs> I wouldn't believe that. No, that doesn't happen. <laughs> Well, Mike Lizakowski, the new general manager of Lernerville Speedway, we can hear the excitement in your voice, and that's the excitement that I get from the race fans, and we want to translate it to the folks that are looking for something to do on a Friday or a Saturday night, and we still got a couple of weekends of racing left at the action track. We know you're busy. It's race day, so uh, thanks for taking time out of your schedule to join us on the Pittsburgh Racing Now podcast. Oh, always a pleasure to join you, and uh, hope to see you out here for the Stampede. Lernerville will crown their track champions this Friday night, so head on out to the action track for a great night of racing. The weather looks like it's going to be pretty good, too. COVID-19, better known as coronavirus, has spread throughout the world. 
There are a few ways to help lower the spread of this respiratory disease. Wash your hands. Avoid touching your face, including mouth, nose, and eyes. Cover your coughs and sneezes. Monitor your symptoms and consult with your doctor. Stay at home and away from other sick people except for medical care. Clean and disinfect high-touch surfaces. For more information, please visit cdc.gov forward slash COVID-19. Thank you. Racetracks across the Commonwealth have a new advocate to help them, and we had a chance to find out all about the Motorsports Council of Pennsylvania. Joining us on the Pittsburgh Racing Now podcast is Robert Johnson, the Executive Director of the Motorsports Council of Pennsylvania. Robert, thanks for taking time out of your schedule. I had heard some rumblings about this in the background, and now you guys have gone to fruition. Tell us about the organization and how it got started. Motorsports Council of Pennsylvania, we have created and, and we have, I have filed it as an article of incorporation across the state of Pennsylvania. The, the mission of the Motorsports Council is to support grassroots racing of all forms across the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. That goes to, to local drag racing, to motocross, to short track racing, both dirt and pavement. Uh, road courses, we kind of cover the entire gamut of motorsports. Um, we, it, this is a result of a national effort that I have been part of for the last five years called the United States Motorsports Association, which was set up to support grassroots racing of all forms across all 50 states. Um, uh, my home base is in Pittsburgh, the Pittsburgh suburbs. I live in Pittsburgh. So I really felt strongly that we needed to get a state grouping going. I have taken uh, racetracks, businesses, uh, organizations to Harrisburg over the last three or four years. We've had rallies in Harrisburg. We've done it under the auspice of the national group. We're now going to turn that more to a state grouping. Uh, the timing was good to do this. So if you go back to, to covid Back in the spring, when it looked like who knows if we were going to get any racing going in Pennsylvania this year in nearby states, uh, we worked with some groups with our national effort. We put together a toolkit, which is on our United States Motorsports.com website, a toolkit that a lot of tracks used to get their efforts restarted across, you know, across, uh, across more than just Pennsylvania, even, even many other states. So I wanted the next step was to get a state grouping going. Um, I do feel like we had a good win this year. We had uh, legislation introduced in Harrisburg that got voted on twice in the state house. It was approved. They would allow our motorsports tracks to all open up. Ultimately, the governor of Pennsylvania included motorsports venues in his executive order back in June uh, that opened up many outdoor activities. And as I'm sure you know, uh, a lot of or most of our tracks opened up and have had fairly good summers. Um, they've had, we've had, we've had race, you know, for, for particularly some of the short track racing, we've had car counts coming in from New York where there's no fans, Ohio, Maryland, PA has been the recipient. I think of a lot of things that we have done over the last three or four years. So motorsports console was time to get it started. And, and we want to work better with our tourism offices across our county tourism office across the state, our state tourism bureau. We want to we want to do more promotion of the local tracks. We want to show the benefits. Many of our racetracks across the state are in rural areas. We want to show the benefits that those racetracks are having in those rural areas. So there's going to be some economic impact done through the Motorsports Council, and I want to have that for for our, our the racing community racing community to utilize prior to the 2021 season. So we got a big agenda ahead. Uh, I'm excited about it. Uh, this has been uh, a, a lifelong interest. I think it's time. You know, there are other groups out there. For example, aviation, they have their own council in Pennsylvania. Many other groups do things like this. Uh, horse racing, they have their own advocacy groups. They're, in fact, a pretty strong advocacy group in Harrisburg. It's time for motorsports to be heard. The focus will be, for the most part, it will be state and local government affairs, state and local advocacy. We will work nationally with with SEMA and the groups nationally on, on certain things when we can. We do, we like what SEMA does, we like what PRI does. 
we will work with them whenever we can. But our focus will be will be a lot of local and state advocacy efforts. And really, this the 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 council is to support the tracks and to help. And correct me if I'm wrong, but it's to help govern help government understand exactly what the tracks do and the trickle down benefits to the communities not only uh from the fans coming to the tracks but the racers and the businesses that are local that they use to support their racing whether it's uh you know a supplier or whether it's a parts store or something along those lines correct uh that's exactly right uh there was a case back when the covid thing was hitting i want to say around june I heard this story uh, that, the, that the state police or someone representing representing the state police went to a motocross track. I want to say around Breezewood. In the motocross, they, they were or they were open. They were racing motocross there. Of course, there were no fans at motocross. But that I heard later that the state police could not designate where a motocross track fit in terms of regulations and codes in the state. In other words, there was no definition of what a motocross course was, so they couldn't even, right? You know, they couldn't determine if, if there even was a violation or anything of that sort. So, so I, I guess that's a good thing, but it's also potentially a bad thing. I mean, we need, you know, the, the state doesn't even know how to regulate the racing if there's no definition for it in certain areas, in certain types of racing. So, as far as your agenda. Uh, what exactly are you guys looking to do here? Because the season, you know, it's going to wrap up here in the next month or so. And then you have a, you know, fairly short off season. Most people don't understand, you know, we'll be racing again in March here in Western PA, April at the latest. So what is your agenda here over the next couple of months? And how can people in the community that listen to the podcast, how can they help these efforts? Yeah, I would ask everybody to go to our, our, our website, uh, racingpa.com. You could, you could check us out there. You can also go to our Facebook page. That's Motorsports Council of Pennsylvania. Hit the like button and share it. Hit the like button and share it to all your friends who want to build that group up. Our agenda for the next couple of months is let's get some, I'm, I'm pursuing some paying members now to the group, to the organization. I want to get uh, an economic impact report done of some sort prior to the 2021 season The tracks can use to, to show to their county tourism offices, to show to their state reps, to show to their township supervisors. We want to have a report done that they can use to show the benefits that their track is bringing to the community. That is a, that's a heavy priority right now. We've got to get something going. So that's, that's my immediate priority. I've got to get the word out. I want to have an ongoing advocacy effort uh, lined up. I want to make sure tracks are inviting their public officials to the racetrack next year. And I want to have a pretty, I want to be prepared for a heavy season of promotion and advocacy in 2021. And, and I will be visiting racetracks. I've, I've been doing visiting racetracks for the last five years. I'll be doing even more of that in 2021 to promote, to kind of promote what we're doing. How much dialogue right now do you think goes on between tracks and their local officials, whether it be on the township level, whether it be on the county level, or on the state level? I believe really up to COVID, I would say that a smaller percentage of the tracks work with their township officials, their state rep, the county health departments, the like. COVID changed that in that you had to get reopened. You had to go and get a plan approved. You had to go talk to your local officials and, and build a plan to get your track reopened. We have been pre, we have really been instructing the tracks for years to do, to really work their local relationships with their officials. And it was, it was none the more uh, cause for importance when all of this stuff hit. So, uh, the, again, the, an, the answer to your question is that the tracks are doing a good bit more of that in the last four or five months than they might did prior. 
we want to keep that going. We think that that's a good thing for a local local racetrack to have that powerful relationship with that local official. So we want to build off of what we had to do with COVID. We think that's the right direction to go in. Uh, a, a local event, a racetrack can get some public support for their, for their venue if they have a good relationship with those local officials. And it can put fires out when, when, when you, when, when a complaint comes from a noise complaint comes from a neighbor or, you know, or, or something, you know, dust complaint comes from a neighbor about what well, we'll, all the dust are creating. We want to be ahead of that. And we have been really advising racetracks for years to, to, that that is an important thing, an important part of you being in the community is to be a good partner. We want to build off of that with the new organization, MCP. Do the county tourism offices really understand what the local tracks do for the economy in their areas? Scott, I think that's a mixed bag. Um, you know, Lernerville works a little bit with Lernerville looks a little bit with, with there with the Butler County Tourism Office. I know Jennifer Times does a real good job up in Somerset with their tourism office. There's a couple tracks out in the mid state that do it, but it's a mixed bag. And, and, and I, I know there are a number of tracks who really just haven't done much with their tourism office, whether they didn't know that that was a service that was there that could benefit them or not. I don't know, but it, 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 I, we believe it's been far underutilized. And it just all starts with a relationship. So, so I, I think it's a mixed bag to answer your question. And, and we need to do better. And what about the corporate communities around the racetracks? And when I say that, I'm not uh, just talking about the smaller companies that, that you see buying billboards at the track. I'm talking about the Fortune 500 companies that are headquartered in Pittsburgh that are headquartered in Philadelphia, uh, how can the MCP get their attention to these community assets that these racetracks who could really benefit even from uh, some of their outreach into the businesses that they do and the, the business that they have, how can the MCP get their attention that this is an industry that needs their support? Uh, we, we are talking with some of those bigger companies and bigger organizations. We have to communicate the benefit. We have to communicate what racing is bringing to PA to those folks. Uh, PPG, PPG's had a long, big Pittsburgh firm. They've had a long-term relationship with the Pen- with with the Penske, with Penske Racing. Um, uh, we we will be a, we we will approach companies like PPG and say, listen, here's what all racing is bringing to the area. People's Natural Gas, longtime sponsor up at Lernerville. Again, another example, they just recently had a merger with Aqua America, a big utility down in Philadelphia. We're going to be reaching out to those folks and, and, and working with them <coughs> to, to, to get better promotion. That's a very good question, and, and that is a real – that's something we're going to be doing. Because really, it's, you know, it's, it's in their backyard, in their, their hometown and in their headquarters backyards, and it's a lot of what some of their employees do on a Friday or a Saturday night. So how can we direct some of their dollars that they spend in different community initiatives to, to help support the racetracks and the local racers? I think that is uh, a huge uh, market that needs to be tapped because so much of motorsports has become a marketing avenue for companies. But I think on the flip side, they need to understand that the dollars that they're spending, whether it be uh, at a race team or a racetrack, I think they need to understand where those dollars are going and how it's really helping the community asset and in turn they are getting return on that investment because let's face facts, especially with COVID, all of these companies right now, they need to see ROI. Um, um, very good point, Scott. Um, you know, racing was one of the few outdoor venues in Pennsylvania that really was open for much of the summer where fans were able to go to racetracks. Um, and, and, and it was one of the few opportunities out there for a, a large company to do some real 
advertising and real promotion with, and, and it, it just it was a good, it's a good opportunity. We don't know what we're going to see here in 2021. We don't know where COVID's going. We I I hope I'm hoping that we will have a vaccine at some point soon, and maybe we'll get back to somewhat normal operations in 2021. But nobody knows. Racing again, it, racing. We've been able to operate in PA. I think much to do to our advocacy efforts over the last couple of years, and I, and we want to let those companies know there are opportunities here, and you're you're hitting a lot of middle middle income America if if you're promoting racing in at, at that local racetrack or that local event. And if you go sponsor the you know the Pittsburgh Grand Prix, I mean the Vintage Grand Prix in Chenley Park, big event every year. They that was one event that did not occur this year. But uh, they're hoping to go back and have that event in 2021 again. Great opportunity for a company for it for a major local 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 corporation to to support the community uh, with an event like the Vintage Grand Prix or to do something at one of our one of our dirt tracks. And I think this is a golden opportunity since we're you know we're coming into a, an election month for race fans race team owners, drivers, track owners, now's the time to get the attention of your local politician and say, hey, our industry needs your help. And uh, I think what you guys are doing is a great uh, avenue to that. But I think I think everybody needs to, you know, if, if you run into a state rep or a city councilman or some someone like that, you need to tell them, hey, we need your help. Yeah, point well taken again. We, uh, I have been emailing uh, over the last uh, four or five months any kind of funding grant opportunities. I send it out to all the tracks across the state. I have a list of, well, about 100 racetracks across Pennsylvania. And I've been, even before we started the Motorsports Council, I have been letting them know about funding opportunities at the county and state level, even the federal level. Congress is still trying, they're still negotiating with the White House on another stimulus package maybe something will happen this week who knows but we will be we will be communicating that to all of the racetracks when there are funding opportunities available and you 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 know you've, you most of these grants are not that hard to complete uh it just you just have to have your you know your your basic accounting information so what you did in 2019 to 2020 we will be again pursuing more and more relief for for, for, for all of racing because racing has taken a hit like other major forms of entertainment. It has taken a hit. And, and that is a, that is a, that will be a focus of the motorsports council of PA. Robert Johnson, executive director of the motorsports council of Pennsylvania. It is great to hear that the racing community now has an advocate to get the attention of the politicians in Harrisburg. So we thank you for taking time out and joining us on the Pittsburgh Racing Now podcast. Thank you, Scott. Tired of a dirty car? Mr. Magic Car Wash will have your vehicle looking new again in just minutes, even those tough-to-clean wheels. Try us out at any one of our five convenient South Hills locations for a car wash you won't soon forget. Thanks to Mr. Magic for their support of Pittsburgh Racing Now. If your car needs a bath, check out any of the five Mr. Magic locations in the South Hills and tell them you heard about it on the Pittsburgh Racing Now podcast. We also want to thank Three Rivers Karting for their support as well. With the colder temperatures moving in, looking for some fun with the kids, head on out to Three Rivers Karting in Latesdale. It's indoor. You will have a blast. Trust me. That does it for this edition of the Pittsburgh Racing Now podcast. Extra special thanks to Lernerville's new general manager, Mike Lisikowski, and Robert Johnson of the Motorsports Council of Pennsylvania. And thanks to you, race fans, for joining us. We appreciate your support. September was the best month ever for PittsburghRacingNow.com. We really appreciate it. Stay up on all the news, both locally and nationally, by checking pittsburghracingnow.com every day. Any use or reproduction of this podcast without the expressed written consent of Pittsburgh Racing Now is strictly prohibited. Until next time, I'm Scott Stiller.